Amen. Would you take a Bible with me this morning? Turn to the book of Colossians. Over the next eight weeks, as we enter into this uh, ordinary time, we will spend the next eight weeks kind of really going verse by verse through the book of Colossians. This morning, we find ourselves in the first chapter. Uh, I think the screen's going to pick it up at chapter, or at verse 3, but I would love to read verses 1 through 14 with you this morning. And if you're present with us, enable if you would stand with me in honor of the Lord's word. Colossians 1. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ and Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We've done this since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people. You have this faith and love because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You previously heard about this hope through the true message, the good news, which has come to you. This message has been bearing fruit and growing among you since the day you heard and truly understood God's grace in the same way that it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. You learned it from Epaphras, who is the fellow slave we love and Christ's faithful minister for your sake. He informed us of your love in the Spirit. Because of this, since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you and asking for you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We're praying this so that you can live lives that are worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way, by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, by being strengthened through his glorious might so that you endure everything and have patience, and by giving thanks with joy to the Father, he made it so that you could take part in the inheritance, in light granted to God's holy people. He rescued us, from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. He set us free through the Son and forgave our sins. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, it is good to see you and uh, to be back this Sunday. Thanks for being with us, especially on this Father's Day. Um, if you've been around the church, you may know that Mother's Day is always the second largest Sunday for a church every year. Um, Father's Day, not so much. Um, for some reason, mothers bring their children to church and dads take their kids to the lake. Um, but it's, it's good to see you this morning and to be together both in person and online. We uh, spent the last week and a half or so in both Oklahoma and Missouri. Uh, Deb and the, all the kids and I, we flew to Oklahoma to be with uh, Deb's mother and her aunt uh, for just a few days before heading to uh, Branson, Missouri to be in this big house with 37 of Debbie's immediate family, um, all in one house. Let me emphasize that again, all in one place um, on the lake in Branson. It was really actually a wonderful time and especially uh, beautiful. Last Sunday, uh, we were together as a family and uh, Caleb and Noah and, and I got the privilege of baptizing uh, Deb's sister, Christy, and her husband, David, and their two kids. And uh, thanks be to God. It was a really sweet uh, time together. Um, this trip had been a dream, really, of Debbie's dad, Ron, um, who, as many of you know, passed away just a few months ago. And, and though it meant a lot to Deb's stepmom and to the whole family that we were all there, uh, certainly Ron's absence was, was deeply felt. And, and today, uh, we're going to gather together as a family, and this will be our third Father's Day without my dad being there. 
And I have to tell you the truth. I, I'm not really used to being uh, the grand old man around the table yet. Um, I don't feel quite ready for that. And, and I have felt the void, his void, over the last couple of years, especially in the challenges of the last two years. Uh, there have been moments where I've, I just really wanted my dad to come do what used to drive me crazy a little bit. He would come in my office and just spend an hour talking, and I long for that now. Um, and I, there are times when he would just come in, and I, I, I could just imagine him sitting in my office the last couple of years and saying something to me like, son, Churches have seasons in their lives, and they're good seasons and challenging seasons, but the Lord is present in them all. <laughs> and, and, or he, would, he loved the line from Eugene Peterson, and, and he would often say to me, son, it's a long obedience in the same direction, right? Um, and then every once in a while he would just say to me, son, it's just church work, get over it. Um, but anyway... <laughs> But not only do I, I really miss my dad, but I, I'm really not ready. And I, I truly am struggling with the fact that I used to go to denominational meetings and other meetings and sit around the table and kind of be the young person around the table who was mentored by the others. And increasingly, I go to meetings and find I am the gray-haired one now around the table. And people are looking to me for things that I'm not necessarily ready to give yet. And I say all that not just because today is Father's Day, but because as we enter into this study of Colossians, as I have read and reread Colossians over the last few weeks in preparation, in some ways Colossians feels to me like that kind of transition also in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. That it reads like this loving, mature, um, parental letter, especially to young believers. So we don't know a lot about the church in Colossae, from the letter, we can kind of guess that these are young believers. It is not a church that we believe that Paul himself founded. Most of his letters are written to other churches that he was very much a part of their founding. This one uh, was likely founded by Epaphras, who comes and visits Paul. It's likely that this letter is written from prison while Paul is in Ephesus in chains. And then Epaphras comes and visits him to celebrate that Paul has grandchildren, essentially, has <laughs> a grandchild church, that his influence in Epaphras has now birthed this church in Colossae. And it appears that Epaphras tells a lot of good things that are going on in this church, but also expresses some concerns. And so it is believed also that then Paul writes this letter of encouragement and wisdom and blessing to the church in Colossae, but not only does he send this letter, but many scholars believe a second letter goes with him, the, a letter that we know as the book called Philemon. And it is even supposed by some that it is possible that the church in Colossae actually met in Philemon's house. And that this letter goes to Philemon and to the church, along with the letter that's going to encourage him to receive Onesimus back, not just as a slave, how appropriate on Juneteenth, but no longer as a slave, but as a brother. But as I was reading it, I, I couldn't help but think about how much this letter reminds me of a letter I've mentioned to you before, but a letter my dad wrote me when I first got to NNC. I'd been here about a week, and I get this three-page letter on yellow legal pad paper from my dad. And the first page was all encouragement, just gratitude for all of the, uh, for our relationship, for the ways dad was excited about what God was doing in my life, and all of those kinds of things. The second page was just all kind of wisdom. 
And he was clearly concerned that I had, now had this new 18-year-old freedom in my life, and there were many opportunities available to me, and I was now going to be doing college work, and, and between you and me, he was concerned about a few of you that are in this room, really. Um, but it was this call to, to follow Christ, and, and as I studied, to not just make this faith a religion of my head, but to make it a reality of my heart still. And then the last page was a kind of blessing and a, a prayer that God would continue to use me in, uh, in my life. And in so many ways, that's how the letter of Colossians reads. A whole bunch of gratitude mixed with some wisdom and concern. And then a prayer of blessing upon these new saints in Colossae. This morning, if you have your Bible still open, I want to go back to two texts and I want to think about them together. So if you'll go back with me to verses 3 through 5 of chapter 1, I would love for you to pay attention and perhaps even circle or underline these words as they occur. We always give thanks to God, Paul writes, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We've done this since we've heard of, and here's the first word, as we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your, and these two usually go together, and your love for all God's people. And notice they appear again. You have this faith and love because of, and now here's a new word, hope reserved for you in heaven. You previously heard about this, and here it is again, hope through the true message, the good news. So if you're following along, it only takes Paul three verses to mention love twice, hope twice, and to mention uh, faith twice. But if you take these ideas, which doesn't, shouldn't surprise us that Paul wants to talk about faith, hope, and love, because if you're familiar with his other letters, or if you attend a wedding anytime this summer, you will hear 1 Corinthians 13 and faith, hope, and love. It, it will be there. But if you combine that with his concern in verse 9, because of this, since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you and asking for you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will with all wisdom and spiritual understanding or discernment. So hang with me this morning. Paul celebrates that they have a particular faith, hope, and love. But it's not enough to just kind of leave it there. He also then is concerned about and praying that that faith, hope, and love would be put together with a discerning heart to understand God's will. And I, I think that's important for us to think about. Certainly, as we think about who we are called to be, we have to think about faith. And for me, faith is something like this. It is the, it is the conscious commitment to a particular story in such a way that we live as though that story is ultimately true. It is a conscious commitment to live into a particular story and to live into that in such a way that we are absolutely convinced that that story is true. And I don't mean that it is made up, but I mean that there are some things like laws of nature that we don't really think about a whole lot, but we do shape our lives around. Um, gravity, which seems to be getting weightier on me each year, but gravity just seems to kind of affect us and we don't think about it a lot, but we do order our lives by it. But almost everything else in our life is shaped by some kind of narrative understanding of what it means to be human, what it means to be in the world, what's wrong with the world, what should be the solution to that problem. And what's fascinating is that those things that we come to believe or understand to be true, we inevitably, and this is important and I've mentioned it a lot, I don't think we can help but give ourselves to those things. 
The famous philosopher and mathematician Pascal wrote about this. Sometimes it's referred to as Pascal's wager. Some people have talked about Pascal's wager this way, that, that they think what Pascal said was, it is better to live Christianly and find out in the end that you are wrong than to not live Christianly and find out that you are wrong, right? Um, that's maybe sage advice, but, but what Pascal really meant is you can't help but wager your life on something. You will give your life to something. To quote the famous hymn writer and theologian Bob Dylan, you're going to serve somebody, right? It will be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You will give yourself to something. You will give yourself in faith to some story. Now, the, the, now here's where you need discernment. We need discernment to recognize what is that that we have been giving ourselves to. And it, precisely because so many of the stories that we find ourselves drawn towards have a little bit of truth in them. So, for example, I'm going to quit preaching fairly quickly so we can get to lunch. And I'm kind of hungry already this morning. But I can make it for a while. But if I don't eat for a while, it's going to come from I want to have lunch to I need to eat something. You need to eat something. You and I need to consume various things for life. And that's just absolutely true. But... The insidious thing is we can turn that need for consumption into the pursuit of our lives so that we begin to measure ourselves by the things we eat, by, and by the way, we need clothing and shelter, and thank you for not coming naked to church this morning. We need those things, but insidiously, they can quickly become the things that we see as the pursuit of our lives, the things we give ourselves over, and it moves into consumption and materialism. We, we are created to be people who desire connection with each other. That's a good thing. We would not have Father's Day without it. VBS would be very boring. Um, these are good things. But they can also become the thing that becomes the pursuit of our life. And we can move into a kind of God that is prevalent in our culture of sensuality where we begin to define ourselves by those sensual experiences. Including, it is wonderful that God has created a universe that is so delightful to be a part of. Even in sweaty places like Branson, Missouri, there's a great deal of beauty. And we enjoy it and love it and rightfully and I think God is delighted when we enjoy God's creation but in our world today we can easily move to a kind of idolatry that goes from experience to experience to experience from Instagram post to Instagram post to Instagram post pursuing that as an end in itself are you with me and we need a discerning heart to know that we have given our life to the wrong thing now come back next week. Paul is going to write a whole hymn about what is the truth that we give ourselves up to that is Christ Jesus. For Christ is the very center of all things. And if we give ourselves wholly in faith to Christ and discern what that means, then in some sense all of these other things will be brought into right balance. But that takes discernment. And let me say one other thing about that. It takes discernment. In the Colossians case, we'll find out that Paul is concerned about a particular kind of way of thinking that has come with them into Christian faith. 
so much so that they are shaped by it and that they have kind of brought it in to Christian faith and practice so much so that it's becoming a part of even the way they begin to think about Christian faith itself. I know I may have lost you there, but here's why we need discernment, not just to know when we've given ourselves to the wrong things, but insidiously we can take those wrong things and put God's name on them. And the challenge today is it's not a bad thing that we find ourselves connected to each other and we pursue common goals and that there's a shared history. But I need discernment to know when we are celebrating that connectedness and when that has turned into a form of nationalism that has been sanctified by religious language. It is a good thing for us to pursue work and co-creative activity with God, but it takes discernment to know when we have taken materialism and turned it into a health and wealth gospel. Are you with me? That takes discernment. And we not only have this faith, but we have this hope that then shapes us. And we've just spent several weeks in Revelation thinking about what that hope looks like. And for the Revelator, like Paul, it looks like heaven and earth coming together, meeting and overlapping and the kingdom of this world becoming the kingdom of our God. And he shall reign forever and ever. That's the hope. That's the vision that we move towards this new creation vision. But even that takes discernment, as we will see in the life of the Colossians, typical of first century folks, deeply shaped by Platonism and other Greek forms of philosophy. Oftentimes that vision can begin to become so, if you will, heavenly minded or anti the body that Paul will write about his concerns that they've started to forget that Christ became flesh to sanctify us in the flesh. And they can become so heavily minded that they forget their responsibilities in the body. By the way, I've preached a lot about that. And I have that concern for us too. That our expectations can so be separatistic in how we get out of here that we forget what it means to be holy in the body. But increasingly, I am as concerned with the opposite problem that we get so focused on the fleshliness of the call of Christ that we forget the work of God that it takes to get this accomplished. This is how it looks for me. Every once in a while, I am I'm convinced that our problem is that we just need more resources. Other churches have more resources than us, and we just need more resources. So we're going to take another offering. Where are the ushers? Um, If we just had more resources like others, we could do this. Or if I could just get the right mission statement, vision statement, and get you all behind it, then we'd have it. I remember reading a book years ago, and I still think about it all the time. If I could just get the right people on the bus and get them in the right seats, oh man, then we'd be going. If I could just get the right leadership strategy, the right methodology, the right program, all of this would be great. And please don't misunderstand me, all of that has a place. But the problem is, we can begin to think that our acts of justice, our works in the world, become an end in themselves. And we forget that if God does not show up, if heaven and earth do not connect, it is just empty work. And the vision, the hope that holds us, the vision and hope we have to discern is the two coming together. 
our participation in the radical grace and transformation of the unique presence of God. And love. Even love takes a kind of discernment. Some of you know this really well, and I'm concerned about the ways in which love, especially Christian love, shatters, first of all, all of our categories of who is my neighbor. But that takes discernment to know what does it mean for me to love Debbie and mom and the kids and those who I have such important connection and responsibility to. What does it mean for me to love you? What does it mean to be to love the community in which I am placed? But what does it mean to love the stranger? What does it mean to love the outsider? What does it mean to love those who I right now think of as enemy? How do I discern what love looks like in all of those relationships? And most problematic, I think, these days is that we have taken love and we have turned it actually into a form of what I call sentimentality. Or a kind, we have thought that what love is, is a kind of live and let liveness to my neighbor. Which shouldn't surprise us because we're a people so shaped by radical individualism that we don't really want to be accountable to anybody else. So why would I want to have to be, hold anybody else accountable? But the problem is, as any of you have had to, mentor, parent, or love somebody, you know that love requires the challenge of accountability, of truth spoken in love. Are you with me? And that is hard. And so this faith, this hope, this love that is the very center of what discipleship looks like, Paul prays that we will have that, but we will also have the spirit in us that discerns what that looks like. And then the second part of the prayer If you go with me to verse 10. And I'm praying this so that you can live lives that are worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way. And by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Verse 14, he set us free through the Son and forgave our sins. I always find it ironic that Paul writes so much about freedom from prison. That this language is so beautiful that we have been set free from bondage. But that freedom is not for its own sake, but that freedom now is really experienced by giving ourselves over in faith, in hope, and in love to the one who has called us and experienced the freedom then of what it means to live into what Christ has called us to be. And that is true freedom indeed, Paul rejoices and celebrates and prays that that is what they would experience. As we go through Colossians, between you and me, preaching out of the epistles is really hard work. First of all, we're kind of eavesdropping in somebody else's mail. And as you preach, you're trying to take first century problems and make them relevant to 21st century issues. You're taking a letter that's probably meant to be read just in one sitting and kind of breaking it up into eight weeks. It's challenging to kind of know, as I've been working and thinking about this series, that there are two questions that have plagued me. One is, who cares? Um, Can I get you to care? 
But the second question is this. What would this sound like if Paul were to write from that prison in Ephesus to, to Nampa College Church? What would that sound like? And, and so I, as a kind of exercise, I started to imagine how I would take Paul's themes and then write that as a letter to you. And this may be a giant fail this morning, and we'll not do this ever again. But in closing this morning, I, I thought I would share how I felt like this opening might read if it were written to us today. From Scott. A follower of Jesus doing his best to lead others to maturity while still trying to grow up himself. To my friends and fellow citizens of Nampa and the new creation, in these tumultuous, troubling, and violent times, let me remind you of two gifts God gives each of us through the Son, grace and peace. It's hard for me to believe that we've been journeying together for seven years. In fact, I think it's seven years today. What a gift you are, and how thankful I am for you. Every time I pray for you, it begins with gratitude for the people you are and the people you are becoming. By God's grace and together. There are many stories out there competing for your allegiance. You could easily give your life to our consumeristic age and spend all your energy pursuing greed, sensual desires, or the accumulation of things and experiences. Or you could be captured by the various cults of fear that lead to isolation, division, and the demonization of others. I am so grateful that you have put your faith in Christ and are discovering the unique life that he wants his disciples to embody for the sake of the world. Your hope is directed toward the new creation. For you, the picture of heaven and earth reunited is not just a wish for the future, but the ever-expanding reality of your present life. This message is bearing fruit in transformed lives and in healed relationships and communities, and it will reverberate throughout the world in power and beauty until Christ comes again and makes all things new. This is not a new message. I've preached it almost every week. But more than that, it has been handed down from generation to generation of disciples. However, the freshness of God's Spirit, in the freshness of God's Spirit, it is finding ever new and exciting expressions in this place and in this time. Although this new creation life is not earned, it is also not easy. Every day I pray like a parent aching for their children to live a life of blessing and goodness. I pray that you would be given all the spiritual gifts necessary to be able to discern God's will and to understand how to live lives of faithful reflections of Jesus. As frail and fragile people, we are not only often easily deceived by the tempter, but we are frequently self-deceived. I pray that you will be able to discern the difference between a God-directed life and a self-directed life couched in religious language. I'm going to say that again because that was a really good line. 
I pray that you will be able to discern the difference between a God-directed life and a self-directed life couched in religious language. A civil religion will not get you very far, and the Lord will not tolerate his name being used in vain for very long. So stay humble, stay transparent, stay connected to Christ and to God's word. And like a mother giving birth, the hope of the new creation comes with groans, cries, and struggles. So endure and have patience. In your waiting, do not give up and settle for otherworldliness that ignores holy justice and embodied love in the present age. However, in your striving for the kingdom, do not settle for the limited justice, peace, and transformation accomplished in our own strength and creativity. Our true Christian hope and inheritance is the coming together of heaven and earth. You have been set free from sin, so don't go back to its bondage. However, your freedom is not for self-indulgence. It has been given to you so that you might live in the joy of divine love. You are loved and forgiven by God. Now discern the challenging beauty of loving all people and of receiving the loving accountability of others. Faith, hope, and love. This is the life, and the only word I know how to describe it is resonance. This is the life of resonance for which God created us. It is the life Jesus embodied and the life he offered up in his death and resurrection so that the world might see it and receive it. It is this life of holy resonance that I pray we will find again and again and again in our life together. Do not miss out on it. Let us lean into it in faith, in hope, and in love. And let us do it together. God, we pray today that the joy Paul finds in the church in Colossians, you would find in us today. May we receive your blessing, may we hear your concern, and may we receive your blessing. I thank you for the way you're knitting our hearts together with you and with each other. May the resonance of your spirit make what is so old so new in our midst. I pray for some this morning who need to discern what they are giving their life to. And especially for those of us who are so easily self-deceived to call what is not of you, of you. And to walk far down that road, thinking we're on the right road, only to discover we are not on the road to life, but on the road to brokenness. Help us to have faith in the right things today. Shape our hopes. You will not do this without us, but we cannot do this without you. And so bring heaven and earth together in our lives as a church. Help us discern what it means to love. And I, I pray, especially on a day like today, I pray 
that you would help us in our homes and in our life and community together. Give us discernment on what it means and how to love each other well. I fear that we have traded love for sentimentality. What we too often call love is just simply leaving each other alone. Teach us how to love, to be loved, and to extend your love to others. Empower us to do this, we pray. For it is not our work, it is your work in us that will accomplish this. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me?
is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. If you've listened well this morning, I know that there are some of you of all ages, really, who are being drawn into different places to put all of your faith and trust and to invest your life. I'm, I will pray for you that God will help you discern what it means, what we just sang, that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I so want God to move in this time, in this place, in our midst. And I know that there are right things that we have to do but I also know it doesn't depend fully on us. So may we wait and be 
in anticipation for the presence of God to come in our midst and to be able to discern his presence. And I know that some of you are in really challenging situations right now, and my prayer for you today is that God would help you discern what it means to love. Not to neglect, not to ignore, but to love, and to love well, and to love as a reflection of Christ. And again, if you've listened well, you may say to yourself, that is hard, amen. <laughs> that is not something you and I can do in our own strength. That's why Paul prays for us. And that's why this benediction is for us this morning. And now unto him who by that power that Paul prays for that is at work within us, that power that's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine to him, be glory in us, this people that he calls his church. Thanks be to God. And in his son Christ Jesus now and for all generations. And God's people said, amen. Go in his peace.